Okay, this is awesome. Um, I'm super pumped I get to do this. This is so sweet. Okay, cool. Um, even though I'm excited, though, I actually am, I kind of feel like I got kind of the short end of the stick here. Because in a couple weeks, Alana gets to talk about how God is love. Sounds great, doesn't it? In about a month, Joanna gets to talk about how perfect love casts out all fear. It's so, it's so, wow, it's so good. It makes you feel so good. I got sin. And super, super excited about that because it makes you feel like crap. So, uh, I also, like Mark said, I also had my credential interview this morning. And nothing prepares you for a credential interview like feeling like you're a sinner. So, felt really good going into that. Um, but if, if I can lead the Omega team that I had last year, then I can preach about sin. It's fine. I can make it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. They're all front row. They're so awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, okay, but let's, let's pray first. Let's pray. All right. Uh, God, even though it's a bit of a difficult topic, we just pray that this morning you'd be able to speak something to us, that you would share uh, your good news with us, that you would share your word with us, and that uh, you would write something on our hearts this morning that we, that we didn't know before, or that uh, we would walk away from here with an application from you that we didn't have before. Uh, be with us this morning. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Are you ready to be called a sinner? Yeah, okay, why don't you open your Bibles, or flip open your, or go on your phone, or whatever. First John, chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. I'm just gonna, hang on, there we go. Okay, it says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Woo! That sounds super good, doesn't it? Uh, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, who here has sinned before. You're of the devil. Congratulations. No, I, okay, that's, that's, that's not actually what he's saying here. But when I was reading this, I was like, okay, like, amen, I guess. Like, what are you trying to tell me here, John? I, I don't understand. Anyone who is sinning is of the devil. Am I not of God? Do I not know him? Like, I don't understand. If I sin, we all sin. Do I not know God? I thought I know God. I thought I knew God. I've been youth pastoring in Richmond for a couple months now. I sure hope that I know God to be able to do that. So what does this mean? So it's a really tough, it's a really tough passage. This is like actually the hardest sermon I've ever written. And so I had a really tough time with it. So we're going to, we're going to break it down a little bit. Okay. We're going to just go section by section here. Talk about what he means. So John actually in this passage answers four questions twice each, okay? So in verses 4 to 7, he answers these four questions, and then in verses 8 to 10, he answers these questions again, okay? 
So we're going to go through each of the questions and the verses that he answers them in. So the first question that he asks, or answers, I mean, is, what is sin? Okay? In verse 4, he says, sin is lawlessness. Okay? Easy enough to understand. In verse 8, he says, sin is the work of the devil. Okay? Again, easy enough to understand. But why? Why is he addressing this issue now? Why is it that John wrote this? So some background. John is writing a section of this book in response to some heretics who at the time were basically saying, we don't have any sin in us. We don't sin. We're perfect. We know God. We don't sin. And earlier in the book, in chapter 1, verse 8, John tells them, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So they're like, we don't have any sin. And he's like, you're lying. You're lying. We all have sin. If you say you don't have sin, you're lying and the truth's not in you. So you have sin, okay? And they're like, all right, so we have sin maybe. But disobeying his commands isn't really sinning if you're a Christian, is what they're saying. He, they're like, God cares if you're a non-believer and you disobey his commands. That matters to him. But if you're a believer and you obey his commands, he doesn't care. So John, in verse 4, is like, ooh, yes, mm, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, he uses two different words for sin, and forgive me for butchering the Greek, but the first one he uses is hamartian, hamartian, something like that. Anyway, that doesn't matter. What matters, what matters is that it's translated as sin, okay, just straightforward. Alf, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what's funny is as I was, Alf normally sits in the back so I looked I was like oh good he's not here and he just walk, walks in okay <laughs> so it doesn't matter what the Greek is it, like, because it's translated as sin which in, if it's translated properly means uh, it describes transgression of the law, okay? Breaking the commandments of God. So that word, sin, when he uses it, he's meaning breaking the commandments of God, okay? He also uses anomian. Again, the Greek is less important than its translation, which means lawlessness, okay? So it's lawlessness, in this case, means the defined, or defines sin as rebellion against God, like Satan's rebellion against God, okay? The active pushing back against, going against what God wants for us, okay? So you have sin, breaking his commands, and you have lawlessness, which is active rebellion, okay? And these heretics are saying, yeah, okay, we have sin, we're sinning, we're breaking his commands, but we're not lawless, okay? We're not rebelling against God. So what we mean when we say we're perfect is we're not rebelling. But John, in verse 4, like, word for word, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness, okay? If you're breaking his commands, you're rebelling against him. There is, you can't separate those two. Sin is lawlessness, lawlessness is sin. So if you say you have sin in your life, you're rebelling against God. So he writes this, what is sin, is the first question that he answers. And he answers it in response to these heretics who are like, we can do this, but that's not that. He's like, that's not true. If you're breaking his commands, you're rebelling against God. Sin is both and. Okay? That's the first question that he answers. What is sin? Second question that he answers. What did Jesus come to do? 
He answers it in verse 5, and he answers it in verse 8. Verse 5, he said, Jesus came to take away sin, to take away lawlessness. And in verse 8, he says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, one of which is sin. So, this question, pretty straightforward. This one's great, okay? This is the gospel. This is what our faith is built on. We all have sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came and through his life, death, and resurrection, took our sin away, destroyed it, and now we're free from the bondage of our sin. Now we're free from the sin that plagued us, that brought us down, that separated us from God. Because Jesus came to take away our sin and to destroy the works of the devil, we're free from it. Right? Don't, that's not, Kim, not now, okay? That's, (laughs) Kim, Kim. (laughs) What is happening? Okay, so John has answered the question, what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God, right? Okay, then he answers the question, what did Jesus come to do? He came to abolish that rebellion against God and free us from it, right? We all know these things. Awesome. Really wish that I could end right there because that sounds great. Yes, we've sinned and it sucks, but Jesus came and freed us from it. That sounds awesome, does it not? Wish I could stop there, but I can't because he answers a third question. Do those who are in God continue sinning? As you might be very surprised to hear, in verse 6 and verse 9, he says, no, they don't. In verse 6, he says that those who keep on sinning have either not seen God or have never known him, which sounds a little bit aggressive, kind of sucks to hear. And in verse 9, he says that if God's seed is in them, then they cannot keep on sinning. So what the definition of God's seed, what that means, is debated on a little bit. Some people think it's like the empowerment of God or the Holy Spirit. For me, I think of the parable of the sower. Okay, so when Jesus is talking about the sower that's scattering seed on bad soil, on good soil, in that parable, the sower is Jesus, and the seed being scattered is the gospel, the good news. So to me, when he says God's seed here, I think of the gospel. For those that have the gospel in them, the good news, the knowledge of Jesus coming to take our sin, uh, they cannot continue sinning. Excuse me. Wow, that was awkward. So, I would hope, all of us being at Bible college, that we have the gospel in us, right? We know it. We're being trained in it. We're studying it. We have the gospel in us. But does that mean then that we don't truly know it because all of us continue to sin. None of us are perfect. John says, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. All of us have sin, and if it says that if God's seed is in us that we cannot continue sinning, do we not have the gospel in us? Do we not know God? What does this mean? John uses, when he says sinning, he uses the present participle of sinning. Again, present participle, doesn't matter what that means because I'm about to tell you, okay? It means the continuous, okay? So it's not past tense, I sinned. It's not future tense, I'm going to sin. It means I am sinning continuously. It's like if I was to go for a jog and say, I'm running. Like nothing is changing of that. I'm continuing to sin. It's continuous, it's present. It's ongoing sinning without change. And he says in it, as Satan has been 
ongoing sinning as Satan has been continuously sinning, continuously rebelling against God since the beginning. Okay? So since the beginning of time, since creation, Satan has been rebelling against God with no change, with no intention to change. His purpose is to rebel against God. So it's this idea of not a one-time thing, but a continuous act of continuing to rebel, continuing to sin. So we have moments of sin or rebellion against God. And we all will. We slip up. We fall into temptation. We sin. But if God is in us, we are not continuously sinning, not continuously rebelling, rebelling, because, this is a gong show, because we are not continuously rebelling because God is working in us. So even the sin that is in our life is being worked on because of God's work in us. Right? Awesome. So, to recap, the first question, what is sin? John says, sin is rebellion against God. Second question, why did Jesus come to earth? John says, he came to earth to take away sin, take away rebellion, and to destroy the works of the devil. And do those who are in God continue to sin? No, because God is in us and he's working on our hearts. The final question that he asks is, how do you know who is of God? If those who are of God do not continually sin or rebel, but have moments of sin, how can you tell who is truly of God? Verse 7, he says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous like he is. And in verse 10, he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So, that's pretty easy. You can tell who is of God based on practicing righteousness. Well, what does practicing righteousness look like? He brings it back to the beginning, to the heretics that say, well, we can disobey his commands and we're not rebelling. He says, no. Those who are of God practice righteousness. They obey his commands. They follow what he, set, or what he told them to do. They obey. They are obedient. So, we get this kind of like picture. It's kind of almost story. First question, what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. Second question, why did Jesus come? To get rid of that rebellion against God. Third question, do those who are of God continue to sin? No, because God is working in them. And fourth question, how do you know who is of God? Because they practice righteousness. And as they practice righteousness, they change. Go for it, Kim. Put that picture back up on the screen. Look at that guy. That's a uh, little, little grade seven Caleb there for you. Uh, yeah, actually, I took that picture last night. Thank you. Uh, that's, this is one of my first profile pictures on Facebook. Kim, you can go to the next one. That was another one. I, yeah, so I actually don't know why. That's, I'm on the toilet in that picture. Uh, I, and I'm not, I'm not sure what this is supposed to be, but I guess I thought it was cool. Kim, you can go to the next one. Yeah, that's a beauty right there. Keep going, Kim. Okay, grade 10. Grade 10, Caleb, in the band room. That was the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I actually, yeah, we're just going to move on. That's next one. Braces. Yeah thought I was super cool with braces, so 
That's an awful picture, but I was super proud of them. All right, that's me when I got accepted into Omega. Yeah, so that was the summer of 2015. I look pretty much the exact same. Okay, and you know I had to put a good one up there to help my pride a little bit. So, Kim, leave that one up there for a while, please. So, you can see the difference between grade 7, well, not really, but the grade 7 Caleb, (laughs) grade 7 Caleb, and current Caleb, right? I've changed. I've changed over the years. Obviously, physically, but in other ways, I'm not the same as I was before either. I've developed mentally. I've developed spiritually. I've grown. I'm now a little bit embarrassed by who I used to be. I've joked with Megan on multiple occasions that if she knew me in middle school, she wouldn't be marrying me now, like 100%. I know things now that I didn't know back then, like some of those photos are super embarrassing. Like, I know because I've grown, I've developed, I've learned, I now know things that I didn't know when I was younger. Because of that, I'm different. I've changed. So we change over time. We all do. But why? What is it that causes us to change? You can, you can take that down, Kim. Please. Please. <laughs> Have any of you guys ever seen the movie Shutter Island? If you haven't seen it, I'm about to drop some mad spoilers. But also, it's like 10 years old, so it's your own fault. It's, so it's a really great movie. Leonardo DiCaprio stars in it, okay? And his character is a detective that's going to this island that is an insane asylum. And he's going because one of their patients has disappeared, and they don't know where he went. So he and his partner are going around, and they're investigating the disappearance of this guy. And they're checking it out. And as they look into things, you start, like, things are a little bit sketchy. And the staff of the insane asylum are acting a little bit weird. And you start, as, to watch the movie, you start to think, like, something's going on. Like, there's, this, there's a conspiracy happening here. And he starts to uncover this conspiracy, and he gets really sucked into it. And he's convinced that someone at the insane asylum did something to this patient. And you're like, yeah, this seems like totally something really weird is going on here. There's some, like, conspiracy, like, they covered up the disappearance of this guy. What's going on? And you get to the end of the movie, and you discover the guy that disappeared doesn't actually exist. And Leonardo DiCaprio's character isn't a detective. He's a patient at the insane asylum. And they're doing a mental experiment because he suppressed part of his memory and created this character for himself that doesn't exist. And this, they're doing this investigation with him because they're trying to do this mental experiment to bring back his real personality, to bring back who he really is. And once you know that, once you know that he's actually a patient, if you rewatch the movie, it's a completely different experience. Suddenly you see the staff do things and you're like, they're watching him like they would watch a patient. Or you see somebody do something and you're like, oh, he's an actor for this, this mental experiment. And you see the things that before you're like, oh, this is such a conspiracy that now you're like, oh, it all makes perfect sense. He's not a detective. He's a patient. And it all comes together, and you never look at the movie the same way again. For those of you that I just ruined it for, I totally took away that experience. I'm so sorry. But it's worth it for Jesus. So, so we change. We change because when we learn information, when we know things that we didn't know before, we respond. Our perspective on things changes. In this passage, John is telling us a story. 
Okay, he begins by telling us we have sin. We are rebellious against God. We have lawlessness. And sin is a work of the devil. And it's in us. And although it's a work of the devil, the devil doesn't make us sin. We ourselves sin. Okay? The devil never makes you sin. That's your own decision. So we have sin. But then John tells us that twist ending, that reveal that you're not a detective, you're a patient. That twist ending that changes everything. The gospel, God's seed. Jesus died for your sin. He took it away. He destroyed the works of the devil. And because of that, if he is in us, he's taken away our sin and he's destroyed it. We're set free. And we have the authority over our sin and can conquer it. But John reminds us that with that incredible freedom and hope and joy comes an incredible responsibility to respond. Because the twist ending has been revealed to us, we can see that we need to change. We can see that we need to work on things. And Jesus gave us the tools to conquer our sin. He freed us from that bondage. But just like the devil doesn't make us sin, Jesus doesn't overcome our sinful habits for us. He gives us the tools to do so. But we need to practice. We need to work on it. We need to lean into him to overcome our sin. And as we conquer it, we change. We know things we didn't know before. And like me in the pictures, we develop, we change, we grow. And how does overcoming our sinfulness manifest itself? Verse 10, whoever practices righteousness is of God. And also loving your brother. The end of verse 10, the second half of verse 10, feels like it's just kind of tacked on there. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Kind of feels like he's like, oh yeah, and also this. But really, this is almost the curveball of verse 10. Why would he tack this on? Why would he add this? What's the point? When I read this, when I looked into this, I realized this entire passage is less about sin than I thought. It's more about the difference between those who are of God and those who are not. Because you see, there's no in-between. You're not not of God and just in the middle. If you're not of God, you're of the devil. You're either for him or you're against him. You can't sit in a gray area. So how do you know who's who? How do you know who's where? Those who are of the devil, who sin, who break the commands of God, who covet who steal, who murder, who slander, who lust. Each one of those is about the self. Each one of those actions is about me. They're selfish acts. But those who are of God, who are righteous, who love their brother, it's about the other person. They're selfless. In this passage, John isn't saying that if you sin, you're not of God. Because as he said earlier, we all sin. There's no avoiding that. And we're all going to continue to have moments of sin. But he does say that you can tell who is of God by how they love their brother. How they love their neighbor. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If breaking his commands is rebellion against God, 
you better follow the second greatest commandment. It's not about your sin. You're going to sin. We're all going to sin. But the beauty is God doesn't expect you to be sinless. He expects you to be selfless. God doesn't expect you to be sinless. He expects you to be selfless. And because we know the twist ending, because we have God's seed in us, we don't look at the world the same way anymore. We know we've been forgiven, that our sin is taken away. And so we take the tools he gives us to begin to work on our sin and to overcome it. And as our sin begins to be eradicated, so too does our selfishness. And we look around at the people around us and we realize, oh, you need to know what I know. You need to know God's seed. You need to have it in you. And John tells us that those who are of God aren't sinless, they're selfless. And so it is in our selflessness that we reveal that we are children of God and we invite others to join the family. You're not expected to be sinless. You're expected to be selfless. And if you love your brother, you love your neighbor, then you will be known as a child of God. And as a child of God, your sin no longer has a hold on you. If you're of God, you cannot keep on sinning. Not because you won't sin, but because you know the twist ending. Because you don't look at your sin the same way anymore. Because you don't see it as something that's just part of your life, but you see it as something that needs to be worked on. As something that you want to work on because you want to be more like the one who is sinless, who is in you. It's not about being sinless, it's about being selfless. And through your selflessness, your sin begins to be eradicated. And it's really easy, it's really easy to talk about, hey, this is awesome. We don't have to be sinless because we can just be selfless. But you can't downplay the idea that just because it's about being selfless, that you can ignore your sin. Because in your selflessness, you work on your sin to be more like God. And it's really easy to say, that sounds great. I can be selfless. I can think of other people before I think of myself. But how many times in a day do we actively choose to be selfless? To show other people that we are a child of God and that we have something that they need. How many times in the last week did you actively choose to be selfless? Because it's not hard. It's as simple as taking someone out for coffee, asking them how their day's been, their week. It's as simple as writing someone a note, putting it on their door, and encouraging them. It's as simple as, someone, as walking into someone's room and asking them, hey, can I do anything for you? And actually meaning it. And not saying, can I do anything for you just as an exit comment, but as, if you need something, I'm here for you. Because if we have God, we're selfless. So, reading week is over. Midterms are over. We're in paper season right now. We all have a lot going on. But can you guys take a moment, just one, out of your week, this week, to go up to someone and to be selfless, to buy them a cup of coffee, to ask them how you can help them, 
to ask them what you can do for them, to encourage them, to do something that has no benefit to yourself but only to them. Because if you do that, then you're of God. And that's what John is telling us to do. To take a moment in your week to be selfless and show that you have God in you. Can we do that? Awesome. I'll pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, for the fact that you did come, that you did die for our sin, that you took it away from us, that it's been destroyed. And that in the moments when we are sinful, that you have grace and that you've forgiven us. But I pray that we wouldn't just accept that, that we wouldn't just be comfortable with that, but that you would put a burning in our hearts to be selfless for your name, God. That you would put a passion in us to do things for other people because we are of you. Give us the strength to step out and to serve. Give us the strength to step out, to step out and to do something for other people knowing it won't benefit us simply because we know you. Jesus, be with us as we go into paper season. Be with us as we need to take the time to rest and to recharge. Give us the strength. And for the food we're about to eat, we pray that you'd bless to our bodies. Pray this in your name. Amen.